Welcome to the CX Pod Europe from TTEC. Hello and welcome to the CX Pod Europe from TTEC, your CX podcast providing thought leadership and executive insight into customer issues. My name is Mark Hillary. I'm a writer and analyst focused on CX, and I'm your host for this edition of the podcast. In many countries, including the US and many European markets, many more people than usual are quitting their jobs and looking for something new. Analysts have been calling this the great resignation, but was this triggered by the pandemic or is there some deeper change taking place? Fortunately, our guest this month is a well-known CX deep thinker. Stephen Lloyd is the founder and principal analyst at Trendsout. He's based in Arlington, Virginia. Stephen's well known as one of the most visionary CX analysts in the world. He was writing reports about the opportunities for work from home agents almost two decades ago. On this episode of the podcast, we're asking Stephen about the great resignation. How real is this effect and how might it impact the CX marketplace? Okay, Steve, great to have you on the podcast. Now, uh, I know that we, we're going to talk generally about the great resignation, and, and this is linked to the fact that every month we're seeing millions and millions of people leaving their jobs in the US. And, and originally, there was this presumption that a lot of this was driven by people who were thinking of changing job before the pandemic, and then eventually taking action on this, you know, because as, as things started calming down and the lockdowns finished, then, then they could actually... Um, look look around for a new job but it seems to just be going on month after month it doesn't seem to just be that immediate reaction anymore so so do you really think that that this great resignation people are talking about is a real effect yes thanks for having me again mark and happy new year and i think it's a great question to kick this thing off um 60 minutes in the united states just had a piece on this two nights ago and i'd encourage everyone to check it out to google the the latest uh, episode. And they emphasize that, you know, certainly many people were considering a job change prior to the pandemic, as you said. But one thing they do a nice job of in the 60 Minutes piece is suggesting there may be a deeper search going on within people that's very much at play here. Some are asking themselves some kind of fundamental questions. What do I really want to do with my life type of questions? While, um, a sizable population of people are also in search of more flexible employment situations. And some, of course, if not many or most, are seeking both of those things. Um, And I've also noted that in a sense, I've I've been thinking about this, maybe we're already in what we're referring to as the metaverse in a way, in an odd way. In other words, because everyone is now on Zoom, spending much of their time home shored in their home offices, we're all seeing and hearing things across this giant online community like never before at a level um, that we haven't seen before. So ideas and images are spreading in a way they haven't before. It's a network effect of ideas, if you really think about it. And one powerful idea is that people just don't have to take it anymore. And they they want work that rewards them and they want it to be reasonable. Um, So I think you're you're onto something there. Yeah, because I mean, I was thinking about this question, whether the pandemic itself was just a, a catalyst for change or, you know, a, a trigger to change people's behavior, or whether there, there are some sort of more fundamental underlying reasons. Uh, and, and it seems that, you, you know, you'd certainly buy into that hypothesis as well then. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this too. Um, 
in uh, I thought a good metaphor for this was it's it's as if a pandemic was the bully who showed up on the playground. Now, you know, we've seen what these kinds of hoodlums have done before. I'm thinking about the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, for example. So you can't be in denial about what's going to happen. But deep down, you also know that over the longer term, this isn't about the bully at, at all so much as it's about your own self-confidence and ability to respond to any threat and go forward. You know you'll need to stand your ground in that moment when it gets up in your face and such, and that the threat will eventually pass. But you'll still be there at the end of the day with whatever set of challenges remain that were there to begin with. So the point I'm trying to make is we need to understand that after this bullying pandemic is no longer a factor on the playground, advances in technology are going to mean that ways of working have changed forever as we just touched upon with hybrid working emerging as one new model. Um, and so it, it seems to me that it follows that we'll need to recognize that it's how we look at our jobs that will be forever changed. The bully will eventually hopefully be rendered irrelevant, um, but technological change will have highlighted in a big way and in some cases offered alternatives to many of the challenges um, of our old ways of working, our old paradigms. Yeah, um, on that point, I've, I've heard some economists arguing that that we do get sort of a cycle every 40 or 50 years or so of, of change. Uh, it's sort of a general societal change. And you can, you know, you can look back at um, the liberal economic liberalization of the 1980s uh, and then go even further back to like the end of the Second World War and how we saw um like an embracing uh, quite liberal values, um, you know, the, the United Nations, uh, the creation of social health care in, in European countries, for example. So I guess maybe we're, we're due a change and, and maybe there is going to be some, some, something bigger than we can see immediately. Yeah, what's really cool is you and I and others have been talking about this since the pandemic hit on CX Files. We've had so many cool conversations. I think this idea of, I think it was hysteresis, the economic term for, you know, when something changes, um, it never quite goes back to the way it was. It resets at a different level. Um, and it seems like this is one of those moments that's been going on for a couple of years now, granted. But to your point, I think that the changes are going to stick in ways that some of which we've talked about and some of which we cannot anticipate because it's things are, are rippling in ways um, that are going to affect our societies in, di in different fundamental ways. And we still don't know what the full impacts will be. Yeah. And I mean, going back to that kind of CX environment, um, if you look at the the, the contact center, um, it's traditionally been quite a low wage environment, you know, and e even minimum wage in many cases. Um, I mean, how does this industry need to react if, you know, working in a contact center, dealing with the stress of customers abusing you hour after hour, um, it, it, it has a lower wage that, than going to Starbucks and serving coffee? Yeah, I think that organizations, they need to respond with excellence. And I love referencing Tom Peters. I've done it before on the CX files and in other contexts. But the idea being that organizations need to invest in their people and in the workplace to instill, you know, a sense of great pride in what that organization is doing. The Little Big Things, um, I think is the name of one of his my favorite books that he wrote years ago, but everything matters. It's this idea that 
everything matters. And, and yes, that's also going to mean compensating people with competitive wages, but also opportunities to further people's education, perhaps grow and advance within the organization, et cetera. Um, and then one other point I'd make is that the contact center environment, it also brings agents closer to an array of technologies and methods of using and implementing them. Um, they can take those learnings, in other words, and those skills and build on them in a way that perhaps a barista at Starbucks can't. Um, and the contact center is a great environment with a, you know, within which to learn essential people and leadership skills. And that's not to say that uh, Starbucks isn't, for example, but you simply don't experience technology, I'd suggest, in the same way, perhaps, as you do in a contact center. And so, you know, have a sense of idealism as an organization and instill it in your people if you can. It's the little details that matter um, and and dive into those details. And, um, I, you know, I can't articulate it as well as Tom Peters can, but um, that's an idea that's, that's going to be so important in valuing people and their future uh, going forward. Yeah, and I think that, that that's an interesting point because if we look at the way that the, the modern customer journey takes place and, and the way that the, the CX industry is responding to this, we're seeing a much greater focus on self-service, you know, be- better results from Google searches, better results when you ask Alexa a question. Um, but then also the kind of automation, you know, if you go to an app or a website, first thing you're going to do is get a bot um, that can answer simple questions. So by the time you sort of reach that human in the contact center, it's it's like the third or fourth line of interaction with, with a brand. So we're expecting smarter, better people that really know their stuff. Um, so that comes back to the, the thing about the wages. You would expect them then to be rewarded as brand experts and ambassadors rather than, um, you know, you know uh, some, someone getting paid minimum wage. But this comes back to the kind of contracting process. You know, you look at all the CX companies and the contact centers, when they bid for business, everybody talks about FTEs and how can we get the absolute minimum uh, full-time equivalent cost. Um, so if we need 200 people in a contact center, what's the absolute minimum for each of those people? Uh, and, and the companies are bidding on these kind of like comparisons of cost. So, so how do we sort of educate the market about how things are changing and how automation, self-service is actually elevating the role of the humans in, in CX um, compared to the way that everybody still bids for the business? Yeah, awesome question. For me, it's it's spell it out for the clients, show them the data, take, in other words, you take human beings out of the equation in the name of cost savings and watch revenues plummet in many contexts. It's a elegantly simple way to make your point. And if it's done in a nice visual graph for them in a presentation, they're going to get it. Um, go into the details. Revenue through the voice channel thrives via a human interface. Um, they need to understand that in some use cases, automation, or call it digitizing in the name of cutting costs, can be useful in many contexts. But in other contexts, that means that revenues can go down. And sometimes those revenues will go down in the order of 60%, 75%, 90%. Um, those Clients, those organizations, they need to understand that, that the conversion rate associated with specific streams of calls 
are um, that's a reality. There are scenarios where the conversion rates can be cut in half simply by misapplying automation, which it, to your point, can be extremely useful in many contexts and in aiding and abetting the human beings. But always remember that the revenue productivity of the human interface is huge. Um, and then one other quick point that we've talked about before, Mark, is this, which it, and I find endlessly fascinating is, you know, while there is exponential technological change going on in a way that's affecting everything, when it comes to something like a chatbot, um, one might surmise, and I'm, I believe, that there probably won't be significantly or fundamental improvement over the next decade, say, um, with things like free-flowing conversation that will remain beyond the capability of a chatbot if algorithmic change is not keeping up with the change in compute. Uh, capabilities and power, which is indeed exponential, but algorithmic sophistication has remained somewhat linear rather than exponential. And so you're going to need human beings to handle um, an increasingly confusing world that's um, spinning so quickly. And that, that's a great point, because I think that one of the big mistakes many companies made was this assumption that you can stick a chatbot on the, the, the front end of, of your interface with the customer and just almost say, ask me anything, you know, how can I help you? Um, and, you know, you can't have a free-flowing conversation um, with a chatbot. It needs to be very specific and focused on the, the problem that needs to be solved. Um, and, and you're right, there may be in a decade, we will have seen enough development to, to have some sort of conversations, but, but it's, still going to require that human interface for a long, long time. Uh, and, and I guess the only answer to that really is um, to use chatbots smarter, you know, to use them maybe as a way of gathering intent and gathering information about what the customer wants. And at the right point, handing all that over to, uh, to a human to, to uh, you know, to actually then have the kind of more sales focused interaction. Yeah. And I think this, it's this idea of what you just said and what I was saying, it, it makes the human being central to the CX and companies need to value them, human beings, that is, more than they are. I mean, I was thinking of, I saw in the news recently that, um, you know, here's one example of a mistake not to make. I mean, you got to value your employees. There's this uh, thing going on at Google where, They've suffered a recent setback in a labor case that was filed by some former employees who claimed the company um, had illegally fired and uh, there was surveillance going on uh, after they had protested some of the business decisions around things like, you know, Trump's Custom and Border Protection Agency and uh, censoring in China and this type of thing. And so now Google has to hand over to the Federal Labor Relations Court um, something like 200 internal documents that it tried to keep confidential, including one in which a company lawyer says that it aimed to discourage workers from unionizing to convince them that unions suck or something like this. I don't know if that's a direct quote, but you know, in other words, don't do that. <laughs> uh, value your people at, in a way that is more sophisticated and forward-leaning um, because technology and there's no greater technology company than Google, but um, you've got to remember that in, in our context, the CX, the human interface is everything. 
And so, I mean, it would seem that you could spin around this question about great resignation. You know, the, the drivers seem to be companies that are not investing in their people, not providing flexibility, effectively not giving people agency, you know, just telling them, this is what you're going to do, and you're going to do it from nine till five. And if you're five minutes late, you're going to get penalized, you know. So, so if you give people back control over their day at work and, and some flexibility around their hours uh, and invest in their future, then I guess you can actually become an employer of choice. So, so it seems there's an opportunity here to actually sort of create a great retention. It just needs some smart employers. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, an employer of choice is something that so many BPOs, and I've worked at um, one of them during my time um, as an analyst to experience that world. And, you know, so many of them claim they're the employer of choice because it's such a competitive space. Well, you know, here's the great test now that they all face. And in tomorrow's world, who really are the employers of choice? And we're going to begin to see that more and more um, uh, in the future. You know, distinction between BPOs is so tough to find anyway, but um, how you treat human beings is going to be a big uh, differentiator. It always has been in this industry, but it's going to become more so in new ways. Yeah, I think it always has been. Um, but a lot of it's often been window dressing. You know, it's, it's like the stuff you put in the annual report about how much work we're doing for the environment or, or whatever. Um, and, and now you're actually going to see, you know, di- a direct impact on attrition based on how you're investing in your people. Yeah, you see it on LinkedIn all the time. That's right. Sometimes it's window dressing and sometimes it's not. And organizations, they need much more creativity in the ways in which they communicate what working in CX really means. It can mean everything. I mean, the best BPOs are reimagining themselves right now, and we know that. Um, And they're transforming themselves due to everything from new technologies to the effects of the pandemic. Um, Someday, we've even discussed this, they probably won't even be considered BPOs anymore uh, um, in some sense. And that's a different conversation. But so too with individuals. I mean, Keep learning, keep adapting. Um, how many CSRs will wake up one day running their own tech business? And I suggest that there will be many of them. There's a lot of brilliant people that get their start in this industry. Um, and there's, there's all sorts of um, reinvention that's going to go on at a rapid pace. Um, and that's going to just accelerate going forward because of everything that's going on. So, I mean, just to, to wrap up then, we're talking about a sort of change in values towards the human element of CX, um, which, which really means a change in like the value of labor. Um, so how do you think this is going to change our view around getting a job in CX and what it, what it means to be working in CX uh, over 2022, maybe into next year? I think that there's going to be, a, uh, we just come out of the Christmas season and uh, we're both big fans of James Joyce and uh, the great short story, The Dead is based on um, and takes place on, I think, uh, the Feast of the Epiphany, the idea that the central character has this great um, insight into his life, which he had never had before because he'd sort of been on automatic. And uh, only Joyce can write it in such a brilliant way. But, you know, to go back to the idea that we've been discussing about human beings and how central they are in this industry, and, it, you know, there's a light bulb moment um, to bring it back down to 
to earth and what it means for clients, revenue conversion rates in contact centers can be or, you know, at least one order of magnitude higher than simply online, possibly more than that. So in other words, if you go to a website, um, and most do first, um, you're, you're somewhere between you know, uh, um, one-tenth and, you know, one-fiftieth or whatever is likely to buy something is if you talk to an actual human being, because that's where the magic takes place. Um, revenue intensive applications are uh, J-curve shifting, put another way, toward, toward that human being on the phone. Productivity takes place there. Um, and that's why I think productivity will actually um, human productivity will only grow coming out of this. Um, so both uh, people working for contact centers and their employers should remember that. They will become, I would suggest to you, even more valuable in tandem with automation and chatbots than they were before. And I think the best BPOs understand that. And you and I covered some of those guys and um, we're, seeing, we're seeing this epiphany um, start to spread across the industry. Those that don't get it aren't going to last. Steve, that's great. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to the CX Pod Europe. That's all we have time for today. Please check ttech.com slash EMEA slash CX Pod for other episodes of the podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye until the next episode.